The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Happy, as always, that you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. So excited that you're tuning in today. Hey, I want to read some phrases to you, see what you think. How do they resonate with you from a leadership perspective? Living tenderly and authentically to be who we are everywhere and create a path that matters. That's the purpose of life. The purpose of a human journey is to live openly and honestly until we become a source of uncovered light. It's not that we are to control or conquer life, but to immerse ourselves in it. And then the last one is fear is a mood to be moved through, not a voice to be obeyed. I love those. What do you think of those? I like them. It comes from a guest. The mind of my next guest, a great guest, Mark Nepo, is on the show. What an amazing conversation. I've been trying to get Mark on the show for quite a while, so this is definitely a bucket list moment for me to get him on the show. He is a poet, a spiritual teacher, who has taught in the fields of poetry and spirituality for over 40 years. I've said a long time ago that spirituality, faith, has to be a part of your leadership journey. It's a non-negotiable. When we're talking about leadership, when we're talking about the blanket of love that, that or the umbrella of love that encompasses this concept of leadership, I don't think you can get there unless you get spiritual. And it can be anything. I don't care what it is. It can be Jesus. It can be Allah. It can be Buddha. It can be a tree. I don't care. But you've got to understand that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And Mark Nepo, man, he's been it for me. You know, with over a million copies sold, he has moved and inspired readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. Again, he's been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time. He's a consummate storyteller. He's an eloquent and spiritual teacher. His work is widely accessible, and it's been used by many of his books have been translated into more than 20 languages. He is a best-selling author for sure. He's published 22 books. He's recorded 15 audio projects. His recent work includes The Book of Soul, which came out last year in 2020, about a year ago, Drinking from the River of Light, More Together Than Alone, cited by Spirituality and Practice as one of the best spiritual books of 2018, and Things That Join the Sea and the Sky. He's been given a life... Time Achievement Award by Age Nation in 2015. In 2016, he was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people and is chosen as one of Oprah's own Super Soul 100, a group of inspired leaders using their gifts and voices to elevate humanity. In 2014, this is when I came across him. He was part of Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want Tour and has appeared several times on our Super Soul Sunday program on OWN TV. He's been 
interviewed by Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. He's a regular columnist for Spirituality and Health magazine. In his 30s, he was diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma, a struggle which helped to form this philosophy of experiencing life fully while staying in relationship to an unknowable future. He devotes his writing, his teaching, to the journey of this inner transformation in this life of relationship. I absolutely love him, and I was such an honor to have him on this show. We didn't get even, I was wanting to start this conversation talking about his book, but we just had this great, authentic, organic conversation chock full of value-packed information that I believe will help you in your leadership journey. I highly encourage you to check out all of his websites at marknepo.com. That's Mark and spelled N-E-P-O.com. His other website, threeintentions.com, and then wmspeakers.com, and you can check on Mark Nepo. He's got a webinar coming up in the summer, June 13th, 20th, 27th. And it's called The Life of Expression, Finding Your Inner Voice. I'll have links to that uh, on the show notes. But it's all about spending time together, getting in touch into the miraculous depth of being that is always just below whatever we carry. If that sounds a little too heavy for you, i got to tell you, Mark Nepo is the best. He's been a huge part of my spiritual journey, my leadership journey. And you can learn more about his webinar at live.marknepo.com. Such an amazing guest, such an amazing conversation. So thrilled to have him on. The show is brought to you by my sponsor, Equity Bank. Well over two years now, well over 50 episodes. They've been a huge part of Dose of Leadership. They're a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been so fun and exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. they got locations all across Kansas as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas with plans to expand even further. Clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth, so it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, go check them out. Go to equitybank.com. also encourage you to go to doseofleadership.com, learn more about my Dose of Leadership University, which I opened my doors back in February, looking for 50 new members to join. So if you're looking for a group, a community of like-minded leaders where we push each other out of our comfort zone into the growth zone, it's a group of accountability solving real-life leadership challenges and problems. Go check it out. Check out the testimonials. Check out the short little video that I put on talking about the university. But you can look at the testimony videos of my mentors, my 15 or so mentors that are helping me grow the university that will be there to help you along with me on your leadership journey. Go to doseofleadership.com slash university to learn more. All right, let's dive into this conversation, this amazing conversation with the one and only Mark Nepo here on Dose of Leadership. Mark Nepo on Dose of Leadership. What a thrill. Welcome to the show, sir. Oh, well, thank you. It's great to be with you. I've been a fan of you for a really long time. I want to thank you right from the very get-go. You were one of the, when I really dove into your work, I don't know, 10 years ago, you were the one that kind of got me going down the path of, I always saw myself as driven. And you kind of woke me up to being drawn to things because I heard you talking about that. I think it was on Oprah a long time ago. And that really resonated with me. And I, and I, my life has gotten, I still fall into that trap of, of, of being driven, right? It's a daily journey. But I, I do see myself, I try to slow down and try to get drawn to things. So I just wanted to thank you for that because it was because of you that, that my path has taken a different 
Oh, you're very welcome. And and maybe it's helpful to start there just to, you know, share a little bit about what that's about for folks that, you know, back I'm I just turned 70, which just seems hard to believe when I when I saw people my age when I was younger, I thought they were ancient. It doesn't, <laughs> right. doesn't seem so old now. Right. Um, for sure. But, you know, back, as you know, from my work in my mid 30s, early 30s, mm-hmm. I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma. And before that, I was, a, uh, as you were mentioning, I was a very driven young artist. And, um, and you know, when I woke on the other side of this <laughs> journey that turned me inside out and upside down, I was, of course, so grateful to still be alive, but I, my drive was gone. And it was very disorienting. It wasn't like all of a sudden I, I realized, oh, no, I'm drawn rather than being driven. I was, you know, I was confused. I thought, my God, did I'm here, but did I lose my gift? And where is it? And what do I do? And But over months, I started to realize, as you shared, that I was now drawn to things, not mm-hmm. driven. And it's actually been more liberating and more joyous. Um, and the image that that has always has come to me having experienced that transformation it's like you take a river like the mississippi mm-hmm. or a strong river and boy you know it's a strong river because because of its narrow bank even if they're right. wide they're still banks mm-hmm. um it roars it makes noise and but when it reaches the sea when it reaches the gulf of mexico down there um it all that noise disappears because mm-hmm. the current doesn't disappear the current goes deeper and joins the rest right. of the ocean and that's what had happened to me and i didn't recognize my gift without the noise right right so it becomes deeper it, it becomes wider and deeper but this at, at, at some sense it's calmer right it, yes if, if the way you're looking at it calmer you know, in the Sufi tradition, the Sufi poet Ghalib said, joy for the raindrop is entering the lake. <laughs> joy yeah. for the raindrop is entering the lake. And, you know, when we think of that, the the raindrop doesn't lose itself by joining the lake. It, just, the lake. it just loses its hard-to-find boundaries. Yeah, it, it is, it's kind of like when you talk about in, in your new book, when we're talking about, it's not, and I think that's where I, I think when I was being driven, where I was, I always had this gnawing and I still have it. It's like this gnawing, I call it a gnawing for significance, I think. And I think that can be a good thing and a bad thing. And I think the bad thing, it can lead you down. It can cover up, uh, you know, as a, you're, you see things as challenges or problems and you're just really reacting to anxiety and you're working so only so hard till the anxiety goes away and you're just kind of reacting to life. Whereas if you kind of harness the anxiety, which is, you know, and start looking at it, it's not about, as you write in your book, not to conquer or control life, but it's to immerse yourselves in it. Right. And, yeah, and, that, and I, that, 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 that's the meaning to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and again, as we share, you know, I, I we were all just guessing at what this mystery is all about, <laughs> living and uh, <clears throat> comparing notes. So, you know, what I offer are examples, not instructions. It's just what I've been able to gather from my time here on Earth. And 
And I think one of the things that I've realized about that gnawing for significance is, is we are we're trained at an early age um, to seek worth and approval externally. Mm-hmm. And I've learned from the deepest experiences that worth only comes from internally. I, I can, you know, I can really, I want to have relationships and I want them, but, but the, so when I am, and this, this gets to a thing in our culture, the modern cult, and it's always happened, but more so in the, our modern culture, you know, we're taught at a certain point, whatever field you're drawn to, if you want to get ahead, you got to get attention. Mm-hmm. But I've learned if you want to get a heart, you have to give attention. And early on, it was giving attention that, you know, recognizing and verifying life around me that made me feel alive, that caused me to grow, that um, caused me to stay in wonder. And so it's very interesting that, yes, in, in the outer world, we do have to quote, get attention at some point to be able to do things and have jobs and have resumes. But that's not where the worth comes from. So we're, right. we're split. We're split where you look at like reality TV culture. Everyone is desperate to be a celebrity when we're all quietly aching for something to celebrate. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it feeds into the big lie that I think most of us are on that rat race that uh, that our identity, as you're pointing out, is defined by what we accomplish and what other people think about us. And that can't that's the trap. Right. And and if if we chase that, we'll never satisfy it. Yeah. And I think that one of the great rewards for our creativity and our energy is that we are shaped by by that involvement. Even when I'm trying to create something, it's creating me. You know, the John Ruskin, who was a 17th, 18th century uh, English watercolorist and critic, had this beautiful saying. He said, a person, uh, the reward for a person's work, their toil, is not um, what they get for it, but what they become right. by right. giving themselves to it. By by but by doing the work, right? It's kind of like I, I kind of remember. I thought I remember hearing you say. I just thought about this that you kind of had this gnawing or this kind of ambition to be a great poet when you were younger, and then as you've gotten older, and what we're talking about here is like you wanted to be the poem, right? Yeah. And so, right. It, yeah. That, yeah. You know, when I was younger, I. I thought, like all of us, you know, I thought even in a, a really good way, if I could work hard enough and long enough, maybe I would write one or two great poems, you know. And and then cancer came along and knocked me upside down. Forget <laughs> writing great poems. I needed to discover true poems mm-hmm. to help me live. And yes, now in, in at this point in my life, I want to be the poem. You know, I and we all know this when we're involved in things. There's a different, you know, we all whether you're working on a car or in a garden or whatever you might be doing, when you're really in it, all of a sudden you look up and you go, what, "How? Where'd that time go? <laughs> right. like two hours? It seemed like a second." Right. And that's because by 
giving ourselves over completely, we enter time. Right. We stop moving through time. So in a lot of ways, like it's interesting, my understanding of discipline is totally different than when I was young. You know, when I was young, especially as a writer or an artist, you're taught, and you know, we recognize this, that discipline is staying focused, not being distracted, persevering, and seeing through till you accomplish what you set out to do. Well, you know, after writing enough books, I realized, you know, I'm going to write them. So that's not the, the point isn't just to turn them out. It's where I'm brought and how I'm brought alive by entering them. And so now, you know, like my wife's a potter. She's out in her studio now. And so, for example, you know, at the end of the day, we'll meet for dinner. And so I'm, I'm in my study where we are now. Uh, I am now. And when I'm working, I'm entering time. I'm in relationship. I'm in conversation. I'm being challenged. I'm being... I'm growing, but then around, let's say, 4.30 or 4 o'clock, all of a sudden I'm aware that we're going to meet around 5. And all of a sudden, even after all these years, my mind goes, well, gee, if I push a little bit, maybe <laughs> I'll finish these next three pages. And now discipline is, is I can't eliminate that thought because I'm human, but now discipline is as soon as I'm aware of it, I drop it and walk away because I'm not coming from my heart anymore. Right. And that's the key is the awareness part, right? The self-awareness piece, I think, is 80% of the of the battle of all of this. And I don't, I don't even like the word transformation. I like the word renovation better because I never really, I don't really transform my house. I renovate it, right? Transforming seems a little overwhelming to me. That's just me. But, <laughs> but the awareness... And all of this, right? The aware, like even, even when we're talking about limiting beliefs or negative talk of all the stuff that we, we all deal with. When you start becoming aware of it, you turning up the volume, it starts, it can be a little daunting, right? Cause you don't realize how noisy it is, but it's, but that awareness I think is 80% of the battle. And sometimes not even not knowing what to do next is okay, but just being aware and like, okay, I'm going to, you know, like you said, putting your pencil down, I need to walk away. That's huge. Well, I think it is huge, and I think that this is really the work of self-awareness. Is I, I believe, you know, from probably from my writing, but you know, I, I don't believe in any kind of arrived state of enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, maybe somebody is that way, but that's not been my experience. <laughs> oh, I'm, no. I'm clear, and then I'm confused, and I'm agile, and then I'm spilling the garbage, you know. And right. uh, and so I feel like we're all part of being human is we each have to personalize a practice of return. Mm -hmm. How do we come back to what matters? How do we, and yeah. that to me is the work of self-awareness is what's in our toolbox to bring us back when we fall off. You know, uh, in the medieval times, medieval monks, when asked how they practiced their faith said by falling down and getting up. And I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, I think you're getting to the point that, that I love about or is kind of the clarity and alignment that I got from, from your, your work is that it, it's, a, it's that what you're talking about there is part of that rhythm that we need to embrace. And it's that rhythm that kind of gives you the magic of life. And I think too often we, we think it needs to be separate. 
like we need to be separate from like you can't have suffering without the great times right you can't have beauty without ugliness and in like and you have to accept that and be immersed in all of that because right am i saying that right yes yes that the, the whole of life um the miracle and resilience and the resources of life come in their totality Mm-hmm. And people from the beginning of time have always wanted that there's there's anonymous Assyrian texts from 7000 years ago that <laughs> uh, verses that say, I only want the good stuff. You can keep the bad <laughs> stuff. So we've been you know, that's part of being human, of course. But that's not the way life works. It's almost like spiritual physics. It all comes to me. I understand it as a whole. So you know, like I have this glass of water. So the water, we all know, learn at an early age is H2O. But I can't say to you, well, I'll just take the hydrogen, please. <laughs> right. Because even if you could separate it for me, right. it would no longer be water and no longer be life-giving or quenching. And so the challenge in being human is that li- that it, for it to be quenching and life-giving, we got to take it all in and we, we need each other to sort out the difficult from the wondrous. I think life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other. And that ensures the journey of love and, and this sense that we're never done. You know, when, when I was a boy, my father, who's now gone, but he was a master woodworker and he loved the sea and he, he built, he was in the Navy in World War II, but he built a, a 30-foot catch, wooden catch, when I was a boy. And we spent a lot of time, as I, my brother and I, as, a, as kids, out on the Great South Bay off of Long Island. And um, But when I was a boy, like eight or nine, he went, and we had like fog or <clears throat> bad weather, he'd put me at the tiller. And because uh, he must have sensed that I had good attention because he would you know, give me the compass and say, all right, I want you to head here. And I learned way back then that even when I was on course, and I'm sure you know this if you've done that, right? Mm-hmm. It's never still. No, the compass never. is ne- even when you're on course. You're, so even when you're on course in life, you're, you're always going, oh, wait, a little to the left. Oh, a little to the right. Oh, and that's being on course. Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful as a person, as a human being. Even when I'm on course, I got to keep course correcting yeah a, a bunch of minor jobs I, I, i'm a i've been a pilot for 30 years wow and that's one thing like when you fly straight and level everybody thinks you know it's like you're flying with your fingertips and it's a bunch of micro corrections huh. constantly right it's like like if you could see what my hands and fingertips are doing huh. for this steady course it's like you know what i mean it's just I, and I, even when you're and particularly when you're coming in for landing on a precision you know you'd be surprised how much the yoke is moving, but all you sense, wow. sense and see is this, right? But there's a lot of this, and even with your feet. So wow. I, I like that analogy. Yeah. And and right, I mean, you have to you have to love that process because it's never it's never done. Yeah. I you know, one thing when we talk about fear and uncertainty, I talk about that a lot in this show, and I that's kind of. Um, organically come up over the eight years of doing this show and with my coaching is this it's and from my observation that it seems like when you look at all these self-help books the process the things we're trying to do it's always dealing with fear and uncertainty and i've and i've come to 
accept that the fear and uncertainty never goes away. I got a lot of that from my time in the Marine Corps, at least the, the mindset of being an officer in the Marine Corps. It's like, look, the fear and uncertainty is never going to go, go away. So let's spend our limited time and resources on being the composed force within this kind of chaotic situation. That is much more profitable than trying to eliminate any dragons that may rear their ugly heads. We just know there's going to be dragons. I don't want dragons, and I'll do things to maybe prevent them, but I, I'm going to expect them. And, and that, to me, what I just said there kind of sums up a lot of what I've learned from your work. How, how does that resonate with you when you hear me say that? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit about about fear and pain. And um, and I think that, then you know, and all the traditions offer us tools with this. Let me share a little story uh, that's an ancient Hindu story about fear and pain, which is really helpful in this because I do agree we, we're never going to eliminate fear mm -hmm. or pain and how what tools are in our toolbox personally so that we can meet them and and stay larger than them so there's this story there's a a master and an apprentice there's always a master and an apprentice <laughs> All right. and the master the truth be known really finds the apprentice annoying because he's always complaining, complain, complain. Everything is a complaint. So the master says to the apprentice, get a handful of salt, put it in a glass of water, and bring it to me quietly. So <laughs> the apprentice brings it. master says, drink from the glass. And the apprentice drinks, and he spits it out. And the master says, what's the matter? He says, it's bitter. master says, I want you to get the same exact handful of salt and follow me quietly. So the apprentice cups the same amount of salt in his hand. He follows the master who leads him to a lake. The master says, put the salt in the lake. He does, and the master says, drink. So he kneels down, he scoops up the water, it dribbles down his chin. And the master says, well, and he says, oh, it's fresh. And the master looks at the apprentice, he says, stop being a glass, become a lake. <laughs> That's great. Stop yeah. being a glass, become a lake. And that's an ancient anonymous Hindu teaching story. When, when, the, when I was teaching once several years ago, this wonderful, was actually at a medical school, and this resident who was uh, Hindu, she, she came up and told me, my grandmother told me that story, which just made my heart leap. Um, but one, one of the things that I take from that that's so helpful is... Everybody gets their handful of salt. That's like the fear and the pain. Some of us get it all at once. Some of us get it a grain at a time or clumps. Everybody gets it. You're never going to eliminate it. You, know, you can hear that story and say, well, yeah, it makes sense. I, I'm not going to be a glass. Oh, yes, we will because we're human. <laughs> right. But yeah. that's, that's the course correction. That's the work of self. That's the return. It's like when I am a glass, the only way... I can't eliminate pain or fear, but I can right-size it by enlarging my yeah. sense of things. The perspective. Coming a lake. So the question is for everyone, what do you do when you're a glass to become a lake? What's in your toolbox? Do you talk to a loved one? Do you take a walk in nature? Do you read a favorite passage? Do you, uh, you know, do you go out and garden? What, what do you do? You know, do you listen to, in silence? Do you meditate? What are the tools in your toolbox? Because when we're tight and when we're like a glass, that's when we need to know what's in our toolbox 
to enlarge our sense of things. Again, not to eliminate no. pain or fear, but to right-size it. Yeah, you're right that fear is is a mood that we need to to be moved through, not a voice to be obeyed. And I love that, right? It's like we got to meet it head on and whatever your toolbox is, right? Become that lake, broaden your perspective, understand, you know, try to get a sense of what we're really dealing with here in an authentic, well, real way. But 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 use it as a barometer to move through because something significant is going to happen on the other side of it, right? That's the beauty of it. Well, yeah. So, yes, absolutely. And I think that, you know, part of our, and this is like, this is a deep, you know, paradox or truism uh, that's in, spoken about in all traditions. But, you know, what's in the way is the way. Yeah. What's right. in the way is the way. We understandably say, oh, if I didn't have to deal with this, well, then I'd be happy. Or if I could only get through this or God damn, this is in my way. Well, what's in the way <laughs> is the way. And so, you know, the fear I've learned because I've you know, from all I've been through, I experienced a lot of fear. Um, and I have found fear gets its power from not looking. Yeah. Yeah. And when you look, so there's two things about that, you know, and fear gets its power from going into the future or the past. The present, no matter how painful, is known. And then, you know, when we're in pain, we just want it to pass. But it's known at least. And this is, you know, one of the most difficult things, you know, I know when we have loved one being the patient or the one suffering versus the partner who's nearby. If I'm the patient or the person suffering, my pain is known and I just want to get through it. <laughs> but for the loved one, because you love someone, it's always worse. Right. You hold it and imagine it, and it's a different kind of pain. That's interesting. That's true. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of pain, and and but so so in in finding that, you know, like let's take the two things about about the the looking at fear. You know, the first is in a you take the old proverbial thing about as a child if you don't look in a closet. Uh, and so there's a boogeyman in there, and the longer you don't look, the bigger it gets. And then you have a kind uncle or grandparent takes you by the hand, says, let's look in that closet, you know, and they open the door, and okay, there's no boogeyman. And we all know when you first open that closet, it looks dark, and then it starts to get a little lighter. Well, the air in that closet hasn't changed. Our eyes have gotten accustomed to the dark. Right. And that's one of the quiet courages every person is, I think, asked to develop is the courage of outweighing our alarm. Letting our eyes grow accustomed to the fear and the pain so it's right size. Now, another great lesson about this, and I don't, this is from martial arts. I, I don't know martial arts. I don't practice. I just read about um, and saw this metaphor that apparently in Aikido, which is one of the martial arts, which, you know, is known mm -hmm. for not resisting energy, but using energy of, of an aggressor to go with you or by you. So in this one thing, there's a master who not physically, but psychologically, he's telling his students that 
when 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 threat comes, adrenaline makes it everywhere. Right. It's everywhere. There's a cloud of fear. His instruction to his students is: before you act, you must outweigh the cloud of fear. <laughs> and so he uses an example of uh, someone's coming at you with a knife. Well, in the moment of adrenaline, everything is not safe. Right. But if you can right size, and, and physically, I don't know how anybody does this physically. I'm just taking the metaphor emotionally. It blows my mind to think about how anybody does this physically. <laughs> right. But emotionally, if you outweigh that cloud of fear, then there's only one point that's a threat, and that's the point of the knife. That's Every right. other point is safe. Now the master says you have real choices. Yeah. And I, that's so helpful in terms of problems and fears and yeah. difficulties and situations in life. They first happen, your adrenaline goes and you go, oh, my God. But then if you can say, OK, this is the one point that's trouble. Everything else is free to move in, now you have real choices. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. And that's the I love that. I love that story, that analogy, because it's getting if we can get to that point to where we're always at a choice point. I'm always I'm fascinated by that when you can get to the point where you can choose, because that's everything. That's the power, as opposed to where you're just reacting to anxiety. The other is the anxiety is probably still there. The feelings, the physical manifestations of fear are still there. But now you're at a choice point And now the, that's everything. That's where the power comes from. It's, it's well, just there, the truth. there are there are, and then there's two kinds of choices. You know, there's the choice of trying to impose our will, mm-hmm. and there's the choice of of aligning with the forces of life. Yeah, which is to me more of the proper use of will, and um, you know, it's just interesting when I did my book on community more together than alone and and I came across this real kind of this uh, 
well, kind of paradox in the American character. Where, you know, I travel, well, mm-hmm. before COVID, I traveled a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, but I was on my way. I was going to teach in Canada, and it was a long line. I had, and, you know, it took a long time. And I was just, you know, I wasn't on my phone or everything. And I started, I started reading my passport, you know. <laughs> I never really looked at it. Yeah. And, and at the bottom of each page, which I never realized, is a quote from a president. Right. That's right. <laughs> I never realized that. And and I just chanced to read. So on page 19 was a quote from Lyndon Johnson and page 20 was Eisenhower. And Johnson said something like, you know, this is America. We, you know, if the, if the world doesn't meet what we want, we will bend it to our need. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, whoa. That's kind of arrogant, right? Yeah. And manipulating, and so. And then the next page is Eisenhower, who experienced World War II, who was one of the the commanders to liberate the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Who actually, in liberating Auschwitz, went to the nearby village and brought the townspeople to see the survivors. Yeah. Say no, you don't look away, and um, and he wrote. He said, America, if we, whatever we want to bring to the world, we must pass through our heart first. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I, I, you know, and then I started to realize, you know, ever since the brilliance of America was conceived by, by human founding fathers who all owned slaves, Mm -hmm. We have struggled with this tension between bending the world and loving the world. Yeah. And we struggle with that as human beings. You know, we try to bend things and then they break. You know, I I think there's such a hunger for this compassionate side of leadership. I really started talking about this the last couple of years. I used to, there was these four C's that I talked about. I'm less concerned about Charisma, I'm more concerned about being composed, confident, consistent, and courageous is what I said. But the fifth one, I added compassion in there. And I think that's what people are so hungry for. And to unlock that compassion, you need authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability, which it, in, in what you write, you know, truth, meaning, and kindness, you know, I, I would lump that in that compassion thing too, right? And, and to get yeah. to truth, meaning, and kindness, you got to be authentic, you got to be transparent, you got to be vulnerable. But I'm with you. It just seems like everywhere I, I look, people are starving for that. But yet we still, as you said, remarkable tension. We seem in some, some aspects more divided than ever, more tense than ever. And I would like to think that we're moving towards what you're talking about, truth, meaning, and kindness, as opposed to the opposite. But I, some, sometimes it just seems like it's getting worse, though. Well, well, well. I, I think all I think all of that's true. <laughs> I think all of it's true, and and I think this raises. And I want to tell a little parable here, but 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 first, you know, talk about um, what I feel is so important. This is the difference between progress and incarnation. Mm-hmm. So progress, progress is where we do start out in a better place because of the efforts of the last generation. Yeah. You know, and we grow. And so like just let's take an example of an indigenous tribe that uh, moves to an uninhabited part of the wilderness. They climb up on a mountain and they say, this is a place where we want to build a village because 
you know, if we clear these trees, you'll be able to see all of creation and that's where we want to live. And so they, they, they spend, you know, 10 years clearing all the trees and then the children who are born there, they don't have to clear the trees. Right. They wake up and see it. That's progress. Incarnation is no matter how advanced or how primitive a generation, there are passages that every human being, it's our turn to go through. Birth, death, betrayal, trust, love, loss, friendship, suffering, all the things we're talking about. And in that, there's no shortcut. Everybody, so, so where we are as a society, which is very strident, and yet at the same time very promising, every generation has and will face their version of this. And it's right. our turn to see how far we can bring it. And so that leads me to this. Well, first is a metaphor and then a, a parable. The metaphor is, and why it's so important for us to be doing the work like you're doing and, and having this conversation and keeping it all alive and talking about compassion and love. Because if we all know that in a, in a one human body, I'm healthy as long as I have one more healthy cell than toxic. I want a lot more. Right. As long as I have one. Well, if humanity is a global body, every soul is a cell in that body. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things like we're doing here, we have to keep so that there's at least one more healthy soul than toxic so yeah. that life continues. And, um, and so, you know, one of the, like you look in the dark ages, what the middle ages in Europe, I was astonished to learn only 10% of the European population was literate. Wow. 90% was illiterate. So 10% kept literacy alive for 300 years. Wow. And so I now, now our job is to keep the literacy of the heart alive. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, it is all about love for me, right? And I think I, I talk about that a lot. And, you know, and I think a lot of times and I've had people recoil when I've told groups of people that this is about love and they recoil because I think they go to the Eros side of love and I'm talking about the agape style of love where it's, you know, an action and where I sacrifice so that you may prosper type of love, right? Yeah. Everything, to me, that's everything. You know, if you don't have it and the interconnectedness, I think that's something I've certainly have become more aware of over the last, particularly last five years and having these conversations is that, and you spoke earlier about the arriving piece. I think early on in my leadership, I think we all do, right? When we're like, if I could just get this, if I could just get the corner, <laughs> off, if, I could just, if I could just plant the flag and say, I arrive. And I shy, I run away from that, like the plague, because if you're doing that, the next thing that happens is a fall, which has happened to me, right? And yeah. if you think you, that you've arrived. So, but my point is, is like, it's like, you know, changing a flat tire as you're driving down the highway or building an airplane while you're flying at the same time. You have, that's that paradox that you have to do it. Like you, you have to, as an individual, think, well, I could never be this type of person. I couldn't be, I don't see myself as a leader. I don't see myself as spiritual. I, I, let me get that right. Then I'll go do this. No, you have to go do this at the same time while you're, 
doing yeah. it. And what I've it's come to realize true. that if I, sh- yeah. yeah, if I shine the light on me and, and you see that authentically, then you can, I can't get you to shift, but you can maybe bathe in, in my light. And if you can authentically and, and vulnerably see me, or you can see me in an, an authentic, vulnerable way trying to do all this, then maybe you'll do the same, right? That's the best I can do, right? Well, I think, yes, I think that, you know, not through persuasion or no. control or debate, but, you know, we all know, look at the sun. The sun is a great teacher. Mm-hmm. The sun emanates light and warmth in all directions without preference. <laughs> it doesn't say, well, I think today I'll just shine on the roses. <laughs> no. Right. And so the sun is a great teacher for us because I, the heart is an inner sun. And when we can be authentic in the way we're talking, what happens if the sun, everything grows to it? And if we can be authentic, then we naturally grow to each other. I become my best self if I grow to your best self. So here's this parable about, uh, about compassion. There's two monks and, uh, they're studying long and hard because one day they're going to climb a mountain and meet with Buddha at the top of the mountain. So they study for years. The day comes. They start up the mountain. About halfway, one of them breaks his leg. So they spend the night. His fellow monk takes care of him. And in the morning, he's getting ready to leave him comfortably and keep his appointment with Buddha. But... Uh, he's not doing well. His friend's not doing well. He's got a fever. It's clear that he can't just leave him. And the parable stops there. And the question is asked, of course, what would you do? And, and what the parable opens is, when you have an age where more people will keep their appointment at the top of the mountain than care for their broken other, you have an age that will engender cruelty. Mm. When you have an age where more people will discover that caring for their broken other is the summit, you have an age that engenders compassion. And every day, just as we face the choice between bending and loving, Mm -hmm. we face this choice. And it doesn't matter what's on top of that mountain. It could be God, security, family, wealth, you name it. When you feel determined to keep that appointment over helping who you meet along the way, you are even very subtly engendering, you know, cruelty. And so one of the great lessons in my life has been, there's nothing wrong with working for what you want, but very often, more often than not, working for what I want has been an apprenticeship for working with what I'm given. And mm-hmm. that has released my deepest gifts. Yeah, I like that. It kind of ties into what I kind of remember you saying too, that we got to get comfortable with asking for what we need, but getting comfortable with what we're given. Am I saying that right? Yeah. So we're, we're, we're challenged to have the courage to ask for what we need only to practice accepting what we're given. Yeah which is a paradox. And, and the paradox is that, you know, often we don't get what we want when we ask for it, but that's not the point. The courage, when I a- have the courage to mm-hmm. ask for what I need, 
Yeah. I become more intimate with my own nature. Right. And when I practice accepting what I'm given, I become more intimate with the nature of the universe. Which is, right, well, yeah, which drives to the whole kind of the power and the beauty of the rhythm that we're talking about, right? Because that's yeah. the discovery, as opposed to if I just focus on what I didn't get. Well, first, yeah, like you said, having the courage, again, that's that. Because, you know, it's easy to, as, as human beings, it's so easy to say what I don't want. It takes a, a tremendous amount of work to say what I do want. Yeah. It takes, it takes courage and a lot of brain power to figure out what I want. It's hard. Yeah. You think it wouldn't be, but it really is. It's easy to go, oh, I don't like that. That hurts. This, this, this is gross. But what do I really want? Yeah. So having the courage to ask for that, because you can easily, you can easily think you're dreaming big, but then you talk yourself down out of it. Right. And you're releasing some of that tension and that tension is what you're talking about there. And like, I, this is what I want. There's tension. I don't know how I'm going to get it. I didn't get what I wanted, but now through that discovery, right. You start to see, as you said, that's where you start. Well, to well often, you know, yeah, often, I mean, there's a couple of things here that you're, what you're sharing is raising and one's another little story, but let me first say that, you know, mother Teresa talked about that courage is doing small things with love. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we find ourselves in this place, that it, it is a step at a time and, um, you know, there's a story, I'll just modernize it, but it's a story about a, uh, a man who wants to be a, uh, he you know, a good natured, wants to be a philanthropist. Well, he doesn't have any money, so he wants to go work for a foundation. He wants to do good work. Yeah. And he tries to get, he gets an interview and on the way to the interview, um, at a, you know, at a light, this old woman falls in the street with her groceries and he stops and he helps her up and, it's not that simple. She's bruised. He takes her to urgent care. He misses his interview. He reschedules it. Next time, you know, he's parked. He's walking near the building, and and this kid's chasing the little kid's chasing a loose dog that's running out in traffic. He's off helping them catch the dog, and he doesn't. He misses his appointment the second time. Well, the foundation thinks this is a slacker. Forget him. Right. And all the while, he's saying, "I want to do be someone who does good." And his want to do good, to be someone who does good, is constantly interrupted by a path of doing good deeds. <laughs> right. He's already someone who's doing good. Right. He didn't even realize. Yeah, because he was, he was, yeah. Yeah. So that leads, you know, if I'd love to share uh, a... Uh, this is a, a new poem that, that just written the other day that is really about all this. It's called Praying I Will Find. I used to have so many plans, good plans, grand plans. In the beginning, I would be annoyed by the calamities I'd meet along the way that would keep me from my plans. I used to pride myself on how I could get back on track so quickly. But the more I loved and the more I suffered, the more my plans were interrupted by those in need. Eventually, the call of life, unexpected and unrehearsed, made Swiss cheese of my plans. <laughs> now, like an emperor undressed by time, 
I wander the days naked of plans, praying that I will find love to give and suffering to heal before the sun goes down. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's so true. You know, I think that's where I struggle. You know, when we started this conversation, I said, you know, I, I always saw myself as driven, having that gnawing. But it, it goes back to being present, right, and seeing what's around you and seeing where you, where you're needed. And I and I think it I think it's okay. I think a lot of times when we go down this this path of discovery of of, of the power of love and the interconnectedness, and I think sometimes on the surface people look at it as a sign of weakness or a sign of passivity. And it's not. I mean, to me, it's living a life of, of intensity of will, but with the humble teachable spirit. And where that Venn diagram intersects, that's the sweet spot, right? And so we're not mm -hmm. talking about passivity here. We're talking about bold, courageous actions. And that's that's personal for you, right? Whatever bold, yeah. bold courageous looks different for everybody. But whatever that is, and getting out of that comfort zone into the growth zone and and, but having that humble, teachable spirit is, is the other part of it. And, and that's what I got from that poem, because having a humble, teachable spirit will open me up to the, the present, right? What's happening here, right? And, and the and present that, where we can, you know, <clears throat> we, it's interesting. Our gifts are like, and I use this metaphor in one of my books, that it's like a wooden match. You know, the, the tip of that, we all know the flame is dormant in the phosphorus tip. Right. But it doesn't it doesn't release warmth or light until you strike it against the surface. Mm -hmm. And that's like our gifts. Our gifts don't release their warmth or light until we strike them against the needs of the world. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't matter whether you're seen or not. That's great if you're seen. You know, one of the things about uh, is this gnawing sense of significance we're all kind of taught to aspire to. Again, it's like that worth waiting for it to be recognized from the outside rather than knowing it from experience yeah. of loving and giving. So there's a great, you know, look at the, the, in, the, in the West, like, you, you know, we go by a tree, even, you know, this is teenagers, right? And what do we do? We carve our names in the tree. Right. And in a Native American tradition, they're taught, no, you leave the tree and the forest, you honor it by leaving it as if you were never there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it speaks, it speaks to the, the, the power and the insidious, insidious side of the ego side of us, right? And, and trying to, to get past the ego. And, and again, the lie that I think culture and society kind of ingrains in us from an early age that, you know, it's, either the Lyndon Johnson view of the world or the Eisenhower view of the world, right? Yeah. Well, one of the great, I mean, you look at this so telling, right? You probably, when you were a kid, King of the Hill, mm -hmm. that old yeah. game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somehow as a kid, I, I'm sure you were, we all were, I, you know, I didn't even know what it was, but I saw a bunch of kids playing on the hill. It became obvious. Oh, well, the goal is to get on top of the hill. Okay, I'll play. Next thing I know, I'm fighting against others to get on top of the hill. And then, you know, one day, you know, quite by accident, I got on top of the hill and all of a sudden it was the worst place in the world. Everybody was <laughs> after me and I was alone right, and, all by myself. And yeah. what a what a metaphor for a misguided, you know, 
seeking for significance because the truth is most of the time there's enough room for more than one person up there yeah there's a lot of room up there well and you to your point you can't do it alone i mean that's the thing that we that's the truth is like and that's the beauty of it by doing it with others is like where you know because you're in a different path i'm a different path i learn from you you learn from me absolutely i help i help when you're I'm when you're weak, I'm strong. I'm helping you, and vice versa. I, it, it seems like common sense, but I don't know why. It, I don't know. I guess it's been a tough year just seeing how divisive we are. But at the same time, I'm optimistic because I do see, and, and maybe it's just because I do this all the time and having 500 conversations with people like you, it it fuels my emotional fuel tank and keep and keeps me, it gives me passion enough to take baby steps towards, like you said. Well, I think it helps. Our, it helps being immersed in what matters for all of us, wherever we find it. And, and this is a, a word that, that has a beautiful original meaning, and it's the word honor. Yeah. The, word, yeah, the word honor, literally, the, the origin of it means to keep what is true in view. Right. Keep, that's a fantastic definition, and that is a fantastic practice, both... You know, even in terms like with that gnawing significance, when we can keep what we know to be true about ourselves in view, we're honoring our own spirit. Mm-hmm. And we don't got to see, see elsewhere. And when I know, just like you're saying, if I'm, you know, if I'm not clear and I'm having a bad time, well, you honor our friendship by keeping what you know about me in view until I can see it again. Yeah. And we keep what I, and so there's a whole, you know, part of us that are keeping what we know to be true about this experiment we call democracy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, so a question for listeners to personalize that is what, what can you name one thing you know to be true and how are you honoring it? How are you keeping it in view? What's yeah. your practice? What is your practice? Well, I think, you know, in getting people to, and I don't know why it took me so long to shift to this view late in life, well into my 40s, where I was, and I considered myself open-minded, but I I would still say I was seeking to prove what's right. You know, it was always about proving and lawyering lawyering up to present you the facts, to, to, to influence, to persuade that I was right. And now it's more of a seeking to understand, right? The power is in the seeking to understand. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and, and you know, it's, we're never, I mean, certainly understand that feeling of why did it take so long, but we're never late. That's <laughs> true. We're, true. We're always just on time. And yeah. uh, because what's in the way is the way. And if it had happened sooner, it wouldn't be so deep in you. Yeah. No, I like that. It, when you said one thing, I just remembered when you said the the way is the way. It's kind of a stoic. That's the stoic philosophy, right? The obstacle is the way. But I think it's important too not to to deify the obstacle either, right? I mean, like it, oh yeah, it, sure. Like don't. Well, I think the truth is that every person will be given the opportunity to be dropped into the depth of life. Mm-hmm. It it could be by something difficult. It could be by something beautiful. It could be by wonder or being loved completely for the first time yeah. or, you know, who knows? It could be a thousand different things. It's not just 
the difficult things. Wow, I'm looking at this clock. I could talk to you for three hours about this stuff. I'm gonna be respectful of your time. You're such a, so such a fun conversation for me, a meaningful conversation, a sacred conversation for me. I just want you to know that. But I mean, we didn't oh, even talk you. about, you know, you you your your work is broad and deep, and I encourage anyone to go out there and get it. The Book of Soul, which came out about a year, almost a year ago, May last yeah. year, right in the middle of the pandemic. Great book. Uh, I love it. I read a chapter a week, and which is how it was designed, written that way, right? Oh, to kind of digest Thank it. You, one, yeah. one chapter a week. There's some great stuff in there. We hit on some of these points in there. I encourage everyone to get it. But you have a webinar coming up, too, in the summer, yes. right? So tell me yeah, about that. Thank you. So, yeah. So, you know, during this time, I've, done, I've started doing webinars. So um, in June, on three successive Sundays, June 13, 20, and 27, there'll be each is one part of a three-part webinar <clears throat> and um it's focused on the life of expression finding our voice and it's not just about writing it's about the kinds of things we're talking about how do we find our own authentic uh center of worth and be who we are in the world and so folks can uh, register for that at live.marknepo.com um and yeah it's been an amazing thing to um to start to do some of these webinars, you know, kind of learn like everyone else how to teach online. <laughs> and I've been amazed at, you know, just like our conversation, uh, there's a lot of wonderful, meaningful connection that can happen. You know, I, it wouldn't replace being in person together, but it's quite remarkable. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, I've had to do a lot of online training too. I've, I've done a handful of online keynotes, which has been interesting. And, um, had, have had to record to and, and send, but yeah, no, I, uh, that sounds amazing. So what was the website again? I'll, I'll have links to this on my it's show notes, but live.marknepo.com. Okay. Got it. Live.marknepo.com. Perfect. I'll have links to that. Mark, you're the best. I, I love your work. It's been a, a, a thrill to have you on this show. I, again, I, I hope to do it again sometimes. Hope we can stay in touch and have you back. There's so much more to explore with you. Um, you're, you're great. Well, Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. And just keep in touch with Eileen, and I'd be happy to keep, keep our conversation going at another time. All right. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help so you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.